Hello. May I welcome you to episode 28 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest began his career in the industry back in 2013. We discover how the company started, how branding, marketing and social media, which is a fascinating listen, has played a big part in where it is today. His challenges, his high points, his advice, what the next five years holds, not only for the company but for the industry, and what his company did during lockdown for his local community. And as always, we end with a funny moving story. In fact, two, and they are both divorce jobs. My guest this episode is Ed Davis, director of Davis and Mac. Enjoy. But before we begin, I would just like to apologise for a minor mishap with my microphone. Although I sound like I recorded this from the bottom of a well, I can assure you that I didn't, and that my studio microphone was replaced by my webcam microphone thanks to a last-minute Windows update. Thank you, Microsoft. Good afternoon, Ed. How are you today? Hey, Colin. I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome to Moving Matters. Oh, it's great to be here. I've uh, I've been plowing through a lot of your other podcasts. It's, a, it's an honour to be on a show with so many other great companies I've seen on there. So yeah, thanks so much. You're very, very welcome. So can you tell everybody about yourself and the length of time within the industry? Yeah, uh, so my name's Ed Davis. Uh, I'm one half of Davis and Mac, which is a London-based removals and storage company. My business partner is Dan Mack, and I, I'm West London-based, sort of Ladbrook Grove, Notting Hill, North Kensington, uh, born and raised. My business partner, who's obviously not here today, he's from North West London. And yeah, just just that's about it, really. That's like sort of the height of me and my location. So how did you get started in the industry? And how did Dan get started in the industry too? So we, we, it was a bit of an accident. I don't. I, th- I feel like there's two points of entry to removals. One is generational. Like you know, you meet lots of people that great grandfather had a horse in yeah. the car. We weren't that entry point. The other entry point is the kind of easy entry point for trying something. So so Dan and I actually used to work together. We worked together before for many years. We used to work in a recording studio in Soho first as T-Boys and then as sound engineers. And it was a recording studio that did music for television adverts. So it was part of the advertising industry. A really cool company. We were there for over 10 years together. An absolutely fantastic time. But the internet massively changed that in, that industry. So advertisers would pay fortunes for people to compose music for Nike adverts or Audi adverts. And as the rise of the internet came in, advertisers could get demos emailed over from all over the world. And so that industry sort of changed from being very sort of beautiful offices in Soho to them not being able to afford to do that anymore. And it just slowly, you know, the internet did what the internet did to that industry. So we we sort of moved on from there, probably spent a few years apart doing separate things. And I was always, I'm not the biggest fan of being a full-time employee. I always have had some sort of business going. So I wanted to start something and a friend of mine, a very old friend of mine, has has been a man and van for like a long time. He's been a man and van for like 20 years at this time. Really lovely guy. 
really friendly, really likable. And I just knew his business. I, you know, we, we, we socialized a lot together. So I'd even end up on his van from time to time. He like, we, we, we were going to go out for the evening. He'd be like, I've just got to go and drop this sofa off. Can you come and give me a hand before we go out? I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So that kind of happened for a few years. And then one day he said to me, because I, I could see that he had a good business there. His phone rang a lot and I could just sort of see that he had a good business there. So one day he, he just mentioned, he just said, I've got so much work. If you get a van, I can give you this excess work. And I sort of umming and ahhing about it. I was like, do I want to be getting in a van and lifting furniture? And so I was like, okay, well, it's, it's, it, it is a quite a sort of, low point of entry to give it a go you know you get a van and off you go and you can try it out so i pitched the idea to dan i said do you want to have a go at this like he can pass us a load of work but my kind of main criteria was that if we were going to do it it would be a proper business like we wouldn't yeah. just get in a van and be a couple of man and vans we would grow something that had value and and you know we would put our pride and effort into it and do it properly and so, yeah, we started with, as I'm sure a lot of people do, with a very busted old Luton van. <laughs> um, uh, it was, abs- I think it cost us £3,000 or something. And just kind of got going, you know, like just registered a limited company straight away and just kind of just hit the ground running. And, 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 and it was a sort of baptism of fire from there onwards, you know, and that was 2013. And like I said, oh, wow. we had a little bit of experience prior to that, but nothing, you know, he didn't do back then, the guy that got us started, he wasn't doing like pack and moves and stuff like that. It was very hourly rate work and what you would consider yeah. a man and van sort of thing. So, you know, we, we didn't know anything about packing or wrapping for storage or export wrapping. That just looked like magic to us. So, yeah, just, just spent that first sort of six months or a year sort of peering into the back of larger companies removal vans and sit like well, what have they done with their mattress and what have they done with their sofa and look how they've stuck their mattress. <laughs> so that was kind of how we started to learn so yeah that's how we got it was a complete accident it was not intentional but once we got going we sort of were all in you know like we were going to give it the best that we could awesome absolutely awesome so can you tell everyone about your company and the services that it offers? Yeah, sure. So uh, as I said at the beginning, we're called Davis and Mac. We're a very small company still. We're only running five loots and vans at the moment. And we do work with other subcontractors. So we can have like eight or nine vans on the road, but they'll be amalgamated with subcontractors that we know to come and join the team. So the, the, the services have kind of developed over the years. Effectively, our main bread and butter is removals you know pack and moves house pack and moves but we 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 also got into some interior design work very early on and i think that was the thing at the beginning is because we had no understanding of the industry whatsoever we didn't know how you priced things you know we were working on hourly rates with two hour minimum charges and then i'd meet someone who did uh, set prices and offering all the export packing and shipping and you started to realize there's, there's all these other services you can do um, and the hourly rate we were working on at the beginning was super low, you know, but that's because it was only two of us and we had no real overheads. So I think we did um, we did this delivery for this woman one day and all it was was picking up a crate. Of, I believe it was a chandelier or some sort of light, but it's all wooden crated. It was very light and very easy. It was a two hour minimum job. We go and pick this, um, pick this crate up from a storage facility for this woman who turned out she was an interior designer and dropped it to this house. We pull up to this house and it was a super mansion in Virginia water. 
there's like you know 30 grand a month rent or something so we walked into this place and our jaws hit the floor and it was just, like i said an hour it took us an hour it's a two hour minimum two hour minimum charge i think we were charging like 45 pounds an hour or something back then oh wow so she not much money at all eh? yeah, so this this was a changing moment because she said oh how much do i owe you guys and i remember actually it was 45 pounds because i said to her it's 90 pounds no VAT. we weren't VAT registered then how much is that? And she goes, 90 pounds. I said, 90 pounds. And she, she, her jaw hit the floor. And she was like, no, 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 no. My normal guys would have charged me that 200 quid to do this. So bill me 200 quid. And I walked out of there. And, and we were still in that busted van, actually. It was quite embarrassing. This dirty <laughs> van was on this, this driveway next to like Rolls Royces and Bentleys. And, and, but I walked out of there. And that was a real light bulb moment. That was where... I was like, okay, well, someone's willing to pay this much. You started to realize how broad the pricing structure was in the industry. You know, I know that people really dislike the £20 an hour Gumtree man and vans. We didn't know any better. And then we sort of saw what this woman said we could charge. And it really opened my eyes to what was available out there. So we then started to push in the direction of working for interior designers based on working for that woman. And so we've done a lot of that over the years. We've kind of developed various services for the interior design industry. But I would say that our main bread and butter, like 65, 70% of our work is pack and moves, home moves and storage. We've never got into shipping. We, we tried the European stuff early on. We found that a real struggle. So we've kept it very simple, very, very sort of local, and even long distance moves like if the guys have to sleep overnight, we tend to walk away. It tend, tends to be not for us. Our guys just won't do overnight. If we can't get there and back in a day, we tend to turn it down. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's got kids. They don't want to stay. They don't want to. Yeah. Maybe I've got the wrong team for it. And that's the culture we've built. But I've offered it up to guys with the extra money that comes with it. And they're like, nah, I don't want to sleep in a travel lodge just outside of Cornwall, you know what I mean? Sometimes, Ed, the guys want to go out overnight because they don't want to stay at home with the wife exactly, and the kids. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think it's a culture that we've built. Yeah, and so, so, so we really, it's quite simple services, really. I have to ask, your vans, of which you say you have five, mm-hmm. what is the story behind their colours? So, I suppose, yeah... It's definitely one of my prouder parts of the business. So it all goes back to this delivering this chandelier to this expensive house and this light bulb moment of what's possible out there. I do feel that carrying a sofa has probably been the same ever since there's been sofas, right? There's no technology that's come and changed that. So within reason, there's this broad pricing structure is can be a lot to do with perception. Yeah, uh, you absolutely. know, I know, I, you know, if, if you had used us, we've got clients that used us when we were charging £45 an hour and they got a deal because we really cared what we were, about what we were doing. You know, we really, really cared. And I started to realise that you could get more money if it was presented in the right way. So that kind of sent me down this sort of thinking about how other, you know, looking at the industry, looking at the branding of the industry, looking at how the industry marketed itself. And started to sort of, well, the first thing that re- when I started to analyze it, I think the first thing I really noticed is that it is a majorly masculine industry. Everything's very masculine. The teams that work on the vans, the branding, it's just a masculine industry. Absolutely. 
But I also noticed that our best customers, our highest paying customers, and as long as the job went right, our biggest fans and best customers tended to be women. Yeah. It was the interior designers were all women, but also when you started to deal with expensive properties, it was either a serious career woman or the woman of the house making the decision. And we noticed that with, you know, they'd get their three quotes in and the, the man of the house would say, oh, I'll go choose the cheapest one. And the woman would say, I didn't like that guy. I didn't feel comfortable with that guy. My stuff's precious to me. Yeah. So I guess that was a moment where we were, I was like, doesn't feel like women are being overly catered for in this industry. I just didn't feel like they were being overly catered for. I also felt that the big marketing stuff that everyone was doing, you know, look at Google AdWords and all of that sort of stuff. Just didn't feel like we could compete with SEO. We didn't have the pockets for it. We didn't have the budget yeah. for it. And so I knew, I knew quite early on that an angle that hadn't been done properly yet, and I understand why, was the social media angle. Yeah. It, removals is notoriously an unsexy business. You know, it's not, <laughs> it's, not, it's not fitness. It's not food. It's not glamorous people in Dubai. So it costs nothing to do that. You know, to post on things, on platforms like Facebook or Instagram. I think we got the the branding started before the Instagram. So we, we got the logo first. And that was a kind of first step after this interior design story that I told you. And the logo is a very grand logo. Yeah. So it's a crest and it's the, a lion, a sort of classic royal lion. It's not a real lion. It's like a sort of mythical lion and a leopard or a cheetah. I can't remember which one it was in the end. And they're, they're, they're carrying the chair, which not everyone notices at first, but they are yeah. lifting the chair. Yeah. And that, that we, I actually spent a lot of money on that, you know, and that was back in the back when everyone was getting the most simplest logos. Like you were talking about Airbnb and Facebook and they were yeah. all, the, the whole thing was simplicity. And a friend of mine's an art director, a really amazing artist. I was like, okay, I want, I want to do this crest. I want to do this crest. It has a kind of, that's right. The reason I chose a crest was because I'd watched a documentary about wealthy Chinese people and they were shown the same product twice, one with a crest and one without, and they would always choose right. the one with the crest. And that's How like, okay. interesting. Uh, yeah. And so I was like, you know, that perception thing. So I was like, okay, a crest is good because a crest isn't necessarily, even though I said I wanted to cater, you know, appeal to side of the market more, I didn't want to create a company for women. I didn't want to offend the men. Yeah. But I definitely wanted to appeal to, to the female side of the market. So I, I thought a crest was a great middle ground for that because it was pretty gender neutral, you know, in that realm. Yeah. It just it has it just has a, a nice royal feel. And then the, I looked around at other companies that had done this crest logo and they tended to do the same thing, which was they would get the same bit of art and invert it on the other side. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go full force here and get someone to really, really do me a proper crest. And we spent a lot of money on that on that logo. I spent 500 quid for the guy to get that done back when we had nothing. And it just came out exactly as I wanted it. And so once the crest turned up, then I was like, okay, we've got this crest, but we've got these rubbish old vans. So now what do we do with the vans? <laughs> the first van we got, before we did the colours, the first van we got, I was always looking, I started to look at interiors at that point. And the first van we got was grey van with white trim, which right. back in sort of 2013, 2014, was a very popular colour scheme in sort of middle-class homes. It was a very popular colour scheme. I think there's a lot of grey and whites out there now. There's a lot of companies do that, but I do think we're the first to get that colour scheme going. 
So we did that, whacked the logo on the side. We actually, and we were tinkering with, we were just always tinkering with the marketing, always tinkering with it. So back then, I, t I tell you a company I was really inspired by getting into all of this was Gentlemen in a Van. Yeah. From the branding perspective. Yeah. That I really yeah, felt yeah. like they had, they had, because man and van has such horrible connotations. It really yeah. does. And the way they had added that gentle on the front. Absolutely. And the guy with the top hat, it was like the M&S of, you know, like this isn't just sausage and mash. This is 28 yeah. day rib. And, and so I, I was very inspired by that. And I, I was kind of trying to work out SEO. So we actually called ourselves the boutique man and van company. And that was inspired <laughs> by gentlemen in a van. How do we get man and van in there? but get rid of that connotation. So we had the gray van with the logo and it said the boutique man and van company. And we would get stopped left, right and center. People would come up to us in the street and go, oh, I love your van. Can I get your card? I love your van. Can I get your card? So we could see that it was working, but the, what we could never answer, they go, what does this boutique man and van thing mean? And I never really had a good enough answer for that. I never could explain right. that properly. So when we went to get the next batch done, we, 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 we got rid of that and now says removal storage and installations. So we, before we got the pastel ones that we've got now, we, we knew we wanted to do multicolored fleets. So another thing that I looked at was companies that I was inspired by or think this kind of attachment to brands that you get was Pimlico Plumbers yeah. uh, and Eddie Stobart. And in yeah. particular with those two companies, they both had these unique things. Eddie Stobart, they named their lorries. And they're famous for that. So famous for it that people stand on the side of motorways yeah. to see Sarah drive past, right? It's like train spotting. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> that emotional connection to a, a logistics company is, yeah. is, is just, I'm really interested in that psychology. There's something really special about that. And of course, any company that's named their vans ever since has zero effect. Like it doesn't work. So Pim yeah, Pimlico Plumbers is the number plates, right? Bog One yeah. and Ludis, and they've got hundreds of them. And it really is like iconic for them. They're like black taxis in London now. They're really iconic. But anyone that's done like personalized number plates since, it means nothing. Like it has no effect. Yeah. So I was looking at those two things and going, what is our number plate? What is our Sarah? What is that? And I couldn't see a company with different colored bands. There was Ocado. Ocado, Ocado was doing their sort of fruit bands at the time. Yeah. So we did our first run. We did our first three vans and we got, we got a, we had kept the gray one and we got a blue one and we got a kind of Cadbury's purple one. And it was all right. It was all right. The, the colors didn't come out. It was really difficult. You know, we're not interior designers. We're not color people. We're a couple of blokes in a van. And <laughs> you've got these like color boards in front of you and me and Dan are sitting there trying to go, yeah, I think this color goes with this color. And, uh, what, are we, what are we doing? Like, are we... So the colors didn't come quite out, out quite right on that. They looked good. It looked good nonetheless. But we, we, we had this, we had an issue. We, had, we actually had two vans stolen in the sort of mid part of this story. Wow. It was a real pain. It was an absolute pain. Really did us on the insurance. And um, yeah, yeah, it was a real pain. So we had the, two of our colored vans stolen. So we got, we got some more vans and we had these white vans and then it kind of, so this is getting to where the pastels came and I'd, I was really, really sort of bonded with the idea by this point. I kind of bit by bit, you know, got the crest and, and got the van done with the colors and people were really complimentary of it. And you kind of, as you build it, you, you really start to know it inside out. And I've been building our Instagram page once I got the first, the gray van, the first one. 
And I thought, okay, I know I'm not going to get any work from this, but if I just keep posting semi-nice photos and just build up that page over time, maybe it doesn't cost me anything to do it. I'm by the van, get my phone out. Phones are just amazing now for taking photos. So we had these, we had these unwrapped vans and we were working out what to do with them. And we get, after four years of, of building up this Instagram page, I get a message from someone called Binky Felstead who had no idea who she was. <laughs> I get this like, Instagram message from a girl called Binky Felstead and uh, she's like, hey, hope you're well. Uh, some of my followers have recommended you for a move. Um, I'm over in Fulham. Would you, would you be up for coming over and quoting? And I just responded, yeah, no problem. Absolutely fine. And I go to her page and she's got 1.4 million followers. And I'm like, who is this person? I'm not a reality <laughs> TV show person. I don't watch any of this stuff. So Google her, work out who she is. And like I said, I think we've always been looking for new ways to market that where, where we're not competing with the big boys because our pockets just can't compete with them. And so I realized who she was, went over and site visited her. Actually, that was the other thing is I went onto her page, right? And what these, what these influencers do is they post up something. When they're looking for something, they'll post on their page, oh, we're moving soon. Can anyone recommend me a good moving company? Yeah. So this post she put up had 30,000 likes and 350 comments on it. And I went through every single comment on that. And there was 75 companies recommended. Wow. Some a lot more than others. Some a lot, yeah. you know, like, for example, I think Gentleman in a Van white man gentleman and yeah. another big one from down that way were recommended multiple times and then there was lots of companies recommended once and so what i did is i went to every single page of and, and we got recommended once by a friend of ours a friend yeah. of ours went in and went at davis and macca great that's all she said so i went to every <laughs> single one of the pages of all the removal companies that had, that had been recommended and bar one or two, they were man and van pages, or, or even if they were really good, prestigious companies, their Instagram just didn't look that great. So she had called five of us in to quote, five of us to come over and quote, and we were the smallest by far. And so I think we were the only company that sent the director over there. Right. Um, everyone else had an estimator. We didn't have an yeah. estimator. So I go over and I knew, I knew I wanted, I know that working with influencers, and I know that that's a thing, but it's a bit of yeah. a gray, that you can't just buy it off the shelf kind of thing. I didn't know what it was. I just kind of knew I wanted to play it out with it. So I went over and met her and it just turned out she was absolutely awesome. Like really lovely woman, got on like a house on fire, super small move as well. I think she only had like three wardrobe boxes, which I was absolutely, completely shocked at. I thought she had <laughs> a band load of wardrobe boxes at least, but very, very small move and a really lovely, really lovely person. So we just got on really well. I put a quote in, offered a bit of a discount and sort of sat and waited. She just got back right away and said, I really love, you know, you were great fun to meet. Like, let's do this. And, and I'll post about you on the job. And I was like, okay, fine. Her move was three weeks away and I had these two unwrapped vans. And I was like, okay, we've got to do something with these vans because we're going to get a photo with someone who's got 1.4 million followers. And we need to get this right. And so we literally, in those three weeks, we came to the conclusion that the pastel colors were the ones. And we got them wrapped in that color, in those colors. We got the pink and the green one done first. 
Yeah. I tell you, it was the most nerve-wracking moment because those vans weren't ready till the morning of her move. The wraps weren't ready until the morning. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's close. And you've got to understand, like, sending a van in to be wrapped pink is a very bold decision. Like, it's a very nerve-wracking decision and to not see them until the, they they i was outside her house and saw them drive up the street and i just i just i was like this is either going to work like perfectly this is going to be either the best marketing ever or this is going to be like vomit horrible disgusting the worst thing that anyone's ever done. <laughs> you just you couldn't you couldn't work it out anyhow they pulled up outside and they just looked fantastic the sun yeah. was beaming down on them. It was a beautiful, bright day. She walked out and loved them. And uh, and and we got a photo with her on them. And she very kindly put that up on her page. She did loads of stories throughout the move. And it just, it just, it just worked. It just, it was just one of those moments where it all really worked. And that sent us off down the, down the pastel route. You know, we haven't kind of looked back from that since. Yeah, it was just great fun and super proud of how well it worked. You don't normally do things expecting them, especially like removal men having marketing strategy ideas, especially marketing to the female market. And uh, it all just came together. And I think there's a very proud moment for us when that all worked. So that's how we got the pastel coloured bands. They look stunning. They look absolutely stunning. And they're all, they're, they're all in different colours, aren't they? Yeah. Your five bands are all different. So no, so well, we've got no four bands are wrapped, and one is a, one is the, the newest one we've just got. So that's actually completely white. We haven't wrapped that one yet, but yeah. The, ne the next colour is coming soon. And that will be a pastel colour. Yeah, for now. For now. We've, got some, we've got some other ideas to come, but uh, yeah, we're gonna, we want to complete the set first before yeah. we do the next thing. Super. And on from that, you've moved quite a few celebrities yeah. <laughs> according to your Instagram page. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that, that's just been a snowball effect, I guess, from the, you know, it's like a recommendation thing almost. Yeah. So recently, it's got a bit heightened. We we, we turn a we turn a lot of them down. They 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 about about five percent in a really busy month. Maybe ten percent of the moves we do are for really high profile people. Yeah. And that is that is really off, off the back of recommendations slash Instagram. You know, one posts about you, their five other influencer yeah. friends see it, they get in touch. And so we spent a year after the Binky one, we spent a year really experimenting with it to get to understand that economy. Like what is doing these moves and discounted, even sometimes possibly free, but worth versus the return. Yeah. And who is worth doing versus the return. And so we, we experimented for a year. We basically took everything on for a year. We didn't say no to any, any type of influencer. And that over a year or celebrity that over a year kind of gave us a bit of a format of who what what you're looking for when you're working for one of these people and what you're not looking for like for example one of the third or fourth one we did was a girl that had won love island who had the most followers of anyone we'd ever worked for no phone calls because her audience of young girls and seedy men all across the country you know yeah. We want London focused followers, you know, people that there's no point someone in Scotland seeing us. I mean, it is, you know, we do have followers all over the country now because of that. But the majority of our followers are London based. The majority of our followers are, you know, we have three and a half thousand followers in the world of Instagram. It's nothing. But the majority of our followers are London based and women over 35. And that's a great base to work off of. We, yeah. I don't want 10,000 followers for the sake of having 10,000 followers. That's not of interest to me. What's of interest to me is having someone follow me for a year and a half 
And then when they need to move, they only think of me. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of a reverse approach to, to marketing effectively is instead of jumping out in front of them when they need the move, we get them to spend a year with us, a year and a half following us, watching us, getting to know the team. And then when it comes come to move day, they don't really think twice about who they're calling. So you're yeah. building customers for the future as opposed to trying to grab them off the shelf as they're Google searching. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, we, work for, we work for loads of people and they, they've been so much fun. We've had so much great fun with these people. Ended up in newspapers. They've given us great content. Uh, we did the Emily Attack one and uh, she, she did this great photo with the guys. They're all having beers. She did. I remember that photograph because yeah. she's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She got a bit, it, was, it was in the midst of the beginning of the pandemic and she got a bit of grief about no masks. But uh, yeah. yeah, there's been some really fun ones. And also as well, like now we really know what to do with it. We turn a lot of them down because there are some real vultures out there as well, you know. There are some real not nice people to work for. Well, you're in a position where you can now pick and choose. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So now it's been, um, you know what the reality is, as I'm sure many of the most moving companies have moved someone of, of some sort of stature. They're just people moving. They're just destroying everyone else. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same deal. It's just the same deal. They're shouting at their partners, their kids causing <laughs> chaos. <laughs> it's the same deal. It's the same deal. Oh, don't edge a shatter and celebrities like them. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Yeah. I think Instagram really does make everything look like, like these people. I mean, they do get sent ridiculous amounts of stuff and they do get a lot of freebies. But the ones that are really kind of successful with it, they're, they're hard grafters. You know, that was the one thing yeah. I saw with Binky. She was up at five in the morning and in bed at one in the morning, constantly trying to stay relevant and keeping busy. And, you know, it's a full time job. So what challenges have you had to overcome? Yeah, challenges. I mean, there's so many. The biggest one definitely is learning to be a boss for me. That's been, and it's a, I guess it's not a forever ongoing thing. Learning to be a manager and a boss. I think most everyone starts their kind of boss journey at one end of the spectrum. I, one of the first sort of people that sort of mentored me on this journey was a CEO of a large storage company. And I was always impressed about how monotone and calm he was, no matter the situation. We worked alongside this guy for about three years and he shouted at me once. He had a go at me once about something, but he spoke to me exactly the same as he did when he was being nice to me. <laughs> but for some reason, I knew he was angry with me and he was just really dead centered. And I think, well, certainly for me and some of the other people I know that have started on this journey, kind of start on like one end of the spectrum you're either too nice or too harsh yeah. and then you have to slowly work your way towards the middle over time like stop taking things personally and so that, that's definitely been a you know I've always wanted to create a company that people are happy to work at and uh, enjoy what I could I wouldn't I can't I couldn't I'm not one of those people that wants to get you know do an Amazon on someone and make them pee in bottles and stuff like that I want them to Give them as much as I possibly can. Do you know what I mean? And uh, that's the kind of ethos of the company has always been. Let, let's get our quality of work better so that we can get our pricing up so that we can all get a bit more money each, you know. But I, th I was definitely too nice at the beginning. And I'm sure a lot of people start like this is uh, hiring friends. And a lot, some of those were just turned into disasters. And that's when I started to realize the boss employee dynamic. Even with old friends, people you've known for 20 years and behind your back, they're like doing things that 
employees do behind their bosses' backs and stuff like that, you know? Or I just started to realize that boss dynamic. So that's been a really, lo- a really long learning curve for me, definitely managing people and be- learning to be a boss and controlling my emotions and uh, definitely not, like, not making r- ridiculously rash decisions when you're tempered. That one's, that one's taken a while for me to calm down on. <laughs> <laughs> I had it today. I had it yesterday with a client that was trying to put a fraudulent insurance claim on me, and she sent this email through, and I just instantly went to start typing. Like as soon as she sent the email, through, I was typing, 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 and I deleted it about seven times, and then I just walked away. I didn't send anything. I'm like, I shouldn't send this email while I feel like this. So definitely being a boss, also just learning the trade, right? Because we've yeah. not had we've not had that generational input. You know, and our, and our guy, the guy that got us into it wasn't doing packs and moves and stuff like that. So like I said, it's literally been like peering into other people's bands and picking someone's brain and learn. You know, I, I don't think I really started to meet big removal company owners until the last couple of years. Like there's a, there's a guy called Dell from Grants Removals. Oh, yeah. We all know Dell. Don't you worry. I mean, this, <laughs> this man is my hero, man. You need to get... <laughs> oh, he's going to love that. You need to get Dell on this podcast. What a He's going to love you saying that. Oh, but do you know what? That man is always on the end of the phone for me. I met him a couple of years ago from a post I put on a forum. And he is just... If I need the answer to any question, that guy answers the question. He's always got my back. Yeah, he's been an absolute hero. But meeting him, he was probably the first serious moving company owner I met and that really eased the way and that was like after year seven or year six of doing this you know so those years leading up to that we really were blind to things you know Mm. yeah even just working out your legal process and the reason we got contracts is because someone stole a move from us you know like we did a move and they didn't pay for it and then I was like well what what do you mean you're not going to pay for it? And she's just like, I'm not going to pay for it. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I, I said, send it to the small claims court. So I contacted the small claims court and they said, um, they said, okay, send the contract through. I'm like, oh. Contract. <laughs> yeah. But then that's how you learn, right? So then the next job we did from then on, we suddenly had contracts. And that's, you know, when we started to get into working with people like Basil Fry and them guys explaining terms and conditions and, just learning that learning the industry has been an ongoing struggle. It's definitely got easier in the last couple of years, mostly because of meeting Dell from Grants Removals. But the lead up to that, it was such so slow and painful, so slow and painful. So, if you could change anything from your moving past, what would it be? If I could change anything from the moving past, I think the first. So, so in like the first six months of, of starting the business, I was very gun ho, just storming into places and saying give me work like I was you know just going to town on it because I'm just like if we're going to do this we're going to do it and and actually stumbled into a really large contract by doing that with a self-storage company which we ended up doing for about three years and we stumbled into it with just me and Dan and started it and it and it worked well they were offering a free removal to their storage customers as opposed to the traditional month for free for storing for two months they said we'll get rid of that and we'll offer a free removal at a set price. And it'll be, it basically was a man and van service. So we would get X amount for a 50 square foot, X amount for a 75 square right. foot. And, yeah. and, and there, was, there was terms in place for the client. It was just a, a man and van service. We didn't do any packing or anything like that, right? So that started off you know, pretty small as they got it up and going, but it soon turned into a multi-hundred, you know, couple of hundred grand contract over the three-year period. 
and we kind of just grew on this contract. And so that's where we started to get employees and, you know, get PAYE registered and VAT registered and all of those things started to happen. And I think the thing that I would change about our past, I didn't know my numbers well enough. I didn't know my numbers well enough. And the contract didn't pay very well, but we didn't realize that until it paid fine while it was just me and Dan in a van. Yeah. But once we had all the other running costs of the other guys, so we actually, without, we didn't really know our numbers properly. And there was all this cash flow going on. And, and yeah. you know, it's that classic turnover is, you know, look at our turnover going up, look at our turnover going up. But actually, that's once I got an accountant to start going through my, like the numbers, they're going, every time, <laughs> every time you add a van, you're losing more money. Like it's, it's getting worse every time you add a vehicle. And so we finally <laughs> worked out that this contract wasn't, right for us you know it wasn't that it wasn't that they were doing us over we had agreed a, the prices with them you know they weren't they weren't mean people or anything it, it wasn't that they were nasty people just the numbers didn't add up and so we spent the first three years really punishing ourselves couldn't work out what we were doing wrong and uh that kind of slowed the start if that makes sense from a financial yeah. perspective it caused a lot yeah. of damage in the last year as well which we had to sort of, you know, it took us 18 months to kind of financially dig out of that damage. But, you know, we did. And once again, with any of these things, it's just now I know my numbers, like I just know them, you know, that would be from my personal story. It would be know your numbers is, is what I would say to myself. So what is your high point of being in the industry so far? high point of being in the industry i mean there's loads of little micro wins for sure i def i think for me i definitely feel that our the brand creation and the marketing has been very special and unique i feel that we do have something that no one else has really got and i'm really proud of that i was just always very surprised there's that very shock that had worked exactly as we had said it would do around you know drinking a pint in a pub that never happens like that. So that that was that was definitely like a massive one for us. But other ones have been like, you know, like like pe- meeting other people in the industry. That's been really, like I said, meeting Dell from Grants Removals. Like I get really excited about things like that. And also also meeting um, the other kind of newer companies that have been expanding out. I always looked up to Jam Vans. You know Jam Vans? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Matt and Justin. They were a company that I noticed quite early on, and those guys are pretty young. Uh, and I was very inspired by them, and I met them quite early on, and they gave me loads of advice. And then uh, there's Warren's Removals, really great giver of advice. I speak to him a bit, and Comprehensive Removals. So meeting all the other companies like us that are, you know, the new companies in the industry, people that are doing things differently, I've really enjoyed that part of it. It started to make me feel like I'm not on my own and there are these other other guys out there so definitely meeting people and uh yeah the marketing and the brand creation has definitely been uh that's got to be up there really that's got to be up there what one thing would you change within the moving industry yeah what would I change i mean it is a pain in the backside that the guys can get stuck out so late it really is like Builders just don't tend to have this problem or generally that other trades. Like I was speaking to a plasterer friend of mine the other day. You know, we were talking about late finishes going, oh, yeah, I, I left site at like 5.45 the other day. It was a killer. I was like, you having a laugh? 5.45? Like, <laughs> I just got back at like 8.30 last night. Or, you know, when it goes really wrong, it can be really late. Yeah. That, that is a, it seems pretty unique to our industry. You know, once that move starts, it's got to finish. 
that is a is something I would love to be different about our industry. We try and build things so that that doesn't happen, but it does. I don't think that's the industry's fault. It's the house buying process, right? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, so I think I think that would be the biggest one. Is I'd love to be able to just offer people just a normal working life, and I, you know, people leave their houses in the morning and they they say to their partners like, "I'll see you when I see you." Sort of thing. <laughs> so yeah, that would be a great one to change. Do you have any problems getting staff at all, Ed? I mean, obviously, there's, at the moment, there's a there's a big thing on about driver and auto shortages. Yeah, I think I think finding staff is, you know, it takes it takes a, a concerted effort, especially at a business our size. You know, we don't have recruitment teams or we don't use recruitment agencies because they're just too expensive. But where I've had great success with finding staff is where I've really, really I've gone through five hundred CVs. I've made a hundred phone calls. I've had a hundred telephone interviews. I've met twenty people face to face. I've trialed ten people, and I've whittled yeah. it down to two. That's where I've had my most success. Right. Whereas, if you don't put that kind of effort into it, it can be a struggle. Definitely, it can be a struggle. And then we, it's bizarre because you know, coming out of the April lockdown last year, every advert I put out, I would get five hundred CVs because, and I'd get yeah. see, I got one of the one of the persons, the operations manager of Stansted Airport applied for a removals job at Davison Matt. It was that abundant really? with people, right? I actually, but I wasn't paying attention and I put a, seat, a, a job advert out the other day when the lockdown released. I think I've had four CVs, like, because there's so many jobs out there now. Yeah. yeah. So many opportunities now. So, yeah, start finding staff. And then if you're finding staff that have never done it before, I personally find, like, two of my best guys... They didn't do removals before they joined us. But after about a year and a half, it all just clicked and they became really good at what they did. And I find it can take a good year, a year and a bit for someone to become that sort of team leader worthy and be able to, because there's so many infinite variables on a move. You can't actually train someone someone in all the scenarios. You have to train them on how to spot possibilities. And we've definitely had issues that we've hired people that have been in the industry for 20 years and it just hasn't worked. You know, they've come to us with loads of skills and, you know, things that we can't do well, that they can, you know, wrap antiques amazingly and do all of this stuff. But they're so set in their ways, you can't get them to fit into the the kind of way you want to get things done. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. staffing can be, um, I, I think you really have to put a lot of effort into it to make it work properly. What advice would you give to yourself just starting out in the industry again? Oh, I think I said know your numbers was the last one. What would I say? <laughs> I would say be warned pushing to go into the higher end of the industry because what that will end up doing is mean that you have to be a really high-end removal company. You have to be really good at what you do. I think we've, we've always been chasing the brand. The brand's always been a little bit better than us. So, so we're like, oh, we want to work for these really rich people. But it turns out rich people have got wallpaper that costs 70 grand, you know? And so we've always had to play catch-up with it. So I probably would have warned myself about that. I wasn't expecting expecting that so much and what else would i say yeah i i I, yeah (laughs) i don't know like i don't know it's kind of all all the mistakes that have been made are kind of important right 
because that's how you learn. But um, well, we all learn by our mistakes. That's the best way to learn. Hundred percent. I tell you, I've probably been through the most expensive university course running this company. I'm, <laughs> I've got, be, I've got to be deep in the hundreds of thousands of mistakes now, like deep into the hundreds of thousands of mistakes now. I should have just gone to university and get, got it over with. <laughs> but yeah, I um, what would I tell myself? Yeah, that, 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 that's about it for now. I'd say, you know, just, just as long as you keep learning from your mistakes, which, you know, I've got a very strict rule on that. Yeah. Make it once and then, and then move on. Where do you see yourself? and the industry in the next five years? Well, I'd love to I'd love to, cont- to grow the business out a bit more. I think the problem we have in central London is, you know, like, so I'm West London based. My business partner was initially Northwest London based, but he's now living up in North London. And sort of commercial space where, we, where we're originally from is very expensive yeah. and almost hard to find, like near and impossible to find. The yeah. sort of the first closest place to us is the Park Royal Industrial Estate. And that's where you've got your heavyweights like Anthony Ward Thomas, yeah. and Tay. There's loads of them around there. But that's like the kind of creme de la creme of industrial estates. You know, it's almost one of the closest into central London there is. So we were sort of scattered all over the place leading up to that. And so we finally got a small base up in North London near my business partner. But we're still using Cadug and Tate for our storage right. over in Park Royal. Yeah. And obviously the next step would be, because we had two vans stolen, we just can't add more vans on the road unless we've got somewhere to park them. So we just won't do it. Like no one can take the vans home anymore. Like that's just a a done thing. It's just too expensive. The insurance got done so much. So the next step is to get sort of to the warehouse and big yard space so that we can get some more vehicles going on out there. But um, yeah, not having a, a central location messed with our company culture because everyone was dotted around. You could not see guys for a few days or a few weeks even, you know. So yeah, in five years' time, a few more vans on the road, our, our own warehouse, move the storage over. And I'd, I'd like to double the fleet size. I'd like to double the fleet size. I've got no massive desires for um, lorries just yet, but maybe I can't have one at the moment because if we haven't got the right setup. The yard won't let us have a a lorry on that yard but maybe once we get a proper yard then the whole o license and thinking about getting into those lorries will, will be another step from there yeah so a, a, yeah. a decent base i think is the sort of dream where do you see the industry in the next five years do you see any changes in the industry at all yeah i mean i think cloud software stuff that we were talking just before the podcast started all of us in smaller companies you know, that started in the last sort of 10 years, six years, seven years, eight years, we've all started like that. And some of those companies have grown pretty big now. They're like multi-million pound turnover companies. And their base foundation is a technology one. It's much more focused in technology. And at scale, that will give them an edge in regards to staff that they need to get things done and stuff like that. I do have a, uh, I do want Elon Musk to come in and automate <laughs> getting containers out of storage. I know Elon can sort that out, no problem. Because I think you could definitely just type a button in and that container just whizzes to where you are. This poor guy. Probably fly on his space rocket. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This poor guy on a forklift all day trying to dig the container out of the back. Also, a big one is going to be automated driving. That's going to change the industry massively, massively. So you'll have, you can, you can send, you know, we can send a load to Scotland. And you can have porters just meet that van up there. 
that's going to change the industry massively. I can see that happening more and more in large cities before it becomes more rural. Well, I, I keep I keep track on that. I keep track on it just because I find it so fascinating. I do think we're likely to see that to start kicking towards the end of this decade, like with logistics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's going to be huge. You think about it; yeah. that's going to be huge, especially on the, you know, not so much for Luton vans because they're just normal driving licenses, but you know, for the HGVs and stuff like that, that's going to be nuts. Like that is going to be nuts when those can just get there on their own. Yeah, and it's not as far as people think. Maybe that's the solution to the driver shortage. Well, it will be. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's also comes with its own problems, doesn't it? Because you're going to put out. It's, I think in America, it's the highest paying, you know, haulage drivers is the highest paying job for non college educated men. You know, it's so you can earn a really decent wage in America, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. You don't have to have a college education. So it's going to be really disruptive, but when old things die, new things get created. So yeah, that would be huge, I think. I mean, maybe, I may be looking a bit past five years, but that would change the industry massively. So what does Ed do outside of the industry to switch off? Do you know what? For the whole of the uh, coronavirus period, I haven't done anything but work. I do love to travel. That is something I do love to do, and I haven't had my, I haven't had a good, decent, Bizarrely, I did, me and my girlfriend did a month in Sri Lanka in January 2020. I don't know how we got that time so right, but we did a month in Sri Lanka in 2020. And that was our, my last kind of getaway. So I love to travel. I love to see new places. I've seen quite a bit of the world and I really would like to get back out there and visit some new places again. I used to, but prior to this, I used to do a bit of DJing sort of alongside this recording studio place I used to work at. And I do a few gigs throughout a year from time to time. That's quite fun. But I tell you, the last 18 months, it has just been work, 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 work. It's all it's been. And I'm going to come back to a question I should have asked you earlier. So during the pandemic, you did an awful lot for your local community, didn't you? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So it was at AGK Kensington and Chelsea. And we just paid all our bills for the month. So we had like, you know, because everyone was getting sawning their vehicles and, and just cancelling everything, right? And so yeah. we did all of that. But we had a month's worth of kind of fuel in the in the in the tank, if that makes sense. You know, we paid all our bills for that month just before. And I was like, look, we've paid all our bills and there was a real you know, I kind of you forget about it now, but there was a real community spirit, you know, clap for the NHS and everyone took it really seriously. We all did that first lockdown, it was like a ghost town outside, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, and I was like, look, we, we, we've got to do something. We can do something with these vans. Like, people need deliveries of something. And so we we do a bit of work with a local charity anyhow called Kids on the Green. I, I live near Grenfell, the, the Grenfell Tower Block. And um, right. Kids on the Green is a charity that was born out of the Grenfell Fire, which a friend of mine runs. So we always help them out. You know, I'll drop this off here for them and pick that up. I phoned them and said, do you guys need help? And they said, no, but Age UK are trying to deliver food to the vulnerable in the area. It was such a fantastic project. So it was a local mosque was the distribution center and they wanted to deliver a thousand bags of shopping, a thousand shops a week is what they wanted to do. They sent me over this spreadsheet they'd done of the addresses of everyone. It was just all over the place. Like they put it in sort of numerical order. So it was like SW3, SW3, <laughs> SW4, SW4. I was like, that's not how postcodes work. Like, <laughs> 
So I pitched them, I pitched them, and I did pitch them for, I said, look, you're going to have to put some sort of money on the table here because it's going to take a lot of work. No one wanted to make a profit out of it, but we needed, I said, you need some courier software. That's what you need. So so we put a pitch in for them and they went, yeah, okay, fine, let's do it. And so I, I started playing about this courier software and we, we got it up to, yeah, we got it up to six man's ASP, a thousand deliveries a week, teams of people on the road. We just built this system really, really quickly and really efficiently. Jam Vans came out and did a, did a day with us actually, really kindly. And yeah, we just built this system, and it was just such a. And then it and then it just got shelved, you know. It kind of served its purpose, and it was really interesting actually because I think the Kensington and Chelsea is the largest gap between rich and poor in the country, because you've got North Kensington where we are and the Grenfell Tower block and stuff like that, and then you've got Harrods, you know, like it's it's, it's really is that drastic. But what that taught us was we were delivering to this old woman in Knightsbridge and she was just around the back of Harrods and she was on her own. I think a house, the house would have been millions, this house, but I think she was 89 or something. No friends, no family, no one. She couldn't leave the house. She didn't know how to use internet. And it was a real kind of like, it was really nice to be able to take her the food. It, it kind of was an interesting amalgamation of the area, you know, like we were all on a level playing field at that point. So yeah, it was a really fantastic project. I'm really proud that we did that. And I'm very skeptical of charities. You know, you get a person with a clipboard coming up on the street to you. And watching these Age UK lot, the CEO and all the senior managers, watching how much they cared and what they did for these people in the community, it was just mind-blowing. They're absolutely awesome people. We were just one cog in a massive, massive system, but we were really proud of the work we did with that. Well, well done for doing it. Well done. And finally... I like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell? <laughs> I think this is the biggest letdown with removal people. Anytime you tell somebody to do removals, they say, what's the strangest item you've moved? Or tell me a funny moving story. And I watch us all look up in the air going, I'm sure there's something. Uh, so I was thinking about this. So I guess I guess there was a divorce one, which was... A classic. So we we turned up at the house. It's a really expensive house. The husband had booked us. I, this is like a fourteen million pound house in High Street Kensington, around the back of High Street Kensington. Really, really good plush area. He comes out to the van and meets us, and he says, "Look, I just want to give you a heads up. No one's talking to me inside the house, right? The wife and the kids. No one. <laughs> no one. Off to a great start, then. He just, and fair. I'm glad he did that because you were going to walk into this really hostile environment. And he was just. And we were like, okay, fine. Look, it's a domestic. What's he done? You know, what what what's he done? Sort of thing. Uh, so okay, fine. Thanks for the heads up. So we go in and we start. And he's moving out, right? And he's moving into a one bedroom flat somewhere. So we're just taking some bits. And so we're downstairs at one point, there's this chest of drawers and they literally won't talk to him. He would ask questions to them and they wouldn't answer. So we're by this chest of drawers that he wants us to take. The wife comes up to me and says, can you tell him he can't? He stood right there. The wife comes up to me and says, can you tell him that he can't have that? I'm like, do I have to play play this game? So I look at him and I'm like, she's just said that he can't have that. And uh, this goes back and forth. He tries to talk to her, but she will only talk to me. And apparently, oh, she had, apparently she had an affair with the personal trainer is apparently what happened. Oh. <laughs> apparently. I mean, there's three sides to every story, right? The, the each oh, and their sides of the truth. But uh, that was pretty intense. And then the other one, they're always divorce related. The other one was we, we moved this woman, a really big house in Weybridge, this kind of Russian woman. 
typical sort of you know very blonde and beautiful and and pretty ruthless. And she had booked us. I think it was a five bedroom house in Weybridge. We get there, we're doing this move. And she's telling us about her husband. She's going, you know, this, this horrible man and what he had done to her. We started to feel really bad for her, and we're like, yeah, he's a horrible man. He's a horrible man. So I got, you know, got, you know, felt for her a bit. Felt for her a bit. So a couple of years later, I'm sat with this friend of mine that I hadn't seen in a long time. It's kind of guy that, you know, I say friend, like loose friend that I know. He's like, what are you up to? I've got this moving company now. And, you know, he's telling me about his thing. I said, so what have you been up to to him? And he said, oh, I got divorced a little while ago. (laughs) Anyhow, as the story unfolds, it turns out that this woman was his wife. <laughs> so I start telling him everything, and he tells me the, his story and the same thing. Oh. Yeah, but I can't believe that two years later, I'm like, I was in your house moving your stuff, mate. He's the nasty man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a lovely guy, but you know, I don't know, I don't know. So yeah, those are my two funny stories. Oh, and my business partner, I'm glad he's not here today because he's got this story he tells, which I'm not going to tell, which involves like soiled underwear and. Oh. <laughs> He always tells it when someone asks this and always cringe. So so I I'm gonna block that story today. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> Ed, thank you very much for giving up your time. I really do appreciate it. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks so much, Colin. It's been absolutely great. Uh thank you so much for having me on and can't wait to hear the rest of the ones that come out after this. Thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. Cheers, man. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 28 of Moving Matters and that my minor microphone mishap did not spoil the episode for you. My apologies once again. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice and please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Ed Davis of Davis at Mac for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Ed. If you would like to know more about Davis and Mac and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners, or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me, so until next time, keep moving.